started. Let's start from the mission on the bottom of 23B, Chavkimah, base. If someone's reading from the Torah, you don't read fewer than three psakim. We already learned this previously, but now this is the source of the Mishnah. So, and he shouldn't read more than one pasuk at a time from the Maturgaman, right? So, as we said in the past, the Maturgaman was a guy who would get up on the bima and he would translate it into Aramaic. It would be read in Hebrew, the Torah, and then he would translate a pasuk at a time into Aramaic. So, what we're saying is that the person who's reading from the Torah, he shouldn't read more than one pasuk at a time, because if he reads more than one pasuk at a time, before the Maturgaman starts translating, the Maturgaman, the interpreter, will not be familiar and will start getting confused about which pasuk is supposed to be translated. But when it comes to Nevi'im, when he's reading the Nevi'im, and then he's pausing for the Maturgaman to translate it into Aramaic, he could go through pasuk at a time. The way Rashi explains, the reason is because we're not so concerned. What's the worst that could happen? Someone will say over the pasuk in Navi a little bit wrong. There's no halachic ramifications from Navi anyways, from prophets anyways. So therefore, we're not so concerned about that. And the three pasukim in Navi are three different sections. Then you should actually still read them one pasuk at a time and then have the translator you know, interject and then go back. Medalgim and Navi, you're allowed to skip from one place in the prophets to another place. So, Medalgim and Torah. However, you're not allowed to skip from one place in the Torah to another place in the Torah. The Ad Kamahum how much can you skip within within one book of the prophets from one end to the other? How how far can you skip? And this we did already learn previously. Ad Kadesh You're only allowed to skip so far that the Matorgaman will not have to pause. That, um, in other words, Matorgaman is going to explain what you just said. How long, does, how long does that take? 15 seconds, 20 seconds, right? And you're going to have to be flipping through your scroll to find the next place, right? So you're not allowed to skip more than the amount that it would take to flip from the one place to the next for the Maturgama to actually finish doing his translating. Today, we sometimes do so. And the reason is because today we have it all printed. It's a very different type of book, right? In other words, we're not we're not reading from a clock where you're going to have to open it up and start rolling it all. You're reading from a, a printed book that has it ready set to go. Why do you read when you're getting Aliyah? Corresponding to the Torah, the prophets, and the and the writings. Don't read to the interpreter more than one pasuk at a time before you give him a chance to translate. But when it comes to the prophets, you can read three verses. But if the three verses make up three different portions, then you have to read them one by one. For example, for so says Hashem, you were sold for nothing. For so says Hashem, for God, my people for Ami went down, my people went down to Mitzrayim originally. And now, what do I have here? Oh, Hashem. So says the word of Hashem. Those are three examples of three verses in a row, but they're talking about different topics. And then you could split up those, those readings into three different uh, readers. You're allowed to skip in the prophets. You're not allowed to skip the Torah reading. For many of the Gemara challenges, this. When, when you're reading, you read on, on a Yom Kippur, the King Godel would read first from Achrim from right after the death in Meikra, and then afterwards you would read Achbasar, and, and but on the tenth day, which is a, a bit further, seven, six, seven prakam later in the Torah. Once again, we're we're following the principle that you're not skipping a large enough distance that the interpreter will already be standing there waiting at ease 
for you to get up to the next part. In other words, we don't want the people in the shul to have to wait while you're rolling up the Torah scroll. They're not going to have to wait because it's such a small amount of distance. They're not going to have to wait. But about this, it was actually said, the Gemara challenges, you're allowed to skip things in the prophets, you're not allowed to skip in the Torah at all. And up until where can you skip? You can skip far enough that the translator won't have to stop. The implication is that in the Nevi'im you can skip, and even in the Nevi'im it's restricted, it's limited to a case where your skipping will not take longer than it will take for the interpreter to to translate what you have just read. But the implication is that when it comes to reading the Torah, no skipping at all. El says, lo kash, it's not a question. One is talking about where it's within one subject matter, one is talking about where it's more than one subject matter. But Tanya, but we learned in Abraisa, medalgim Torah v'inyanachad, you can skip in the Torah if it's within one subject, and during the prophets, if it's in two subjects. And both here and there is always talking about only so far that the translator won't be able, won't have to stop before the reader is able to find the next place. Tanya, another Abraisa taught, you can't skip at all from one prophet to another. However, if you're within the prophets of the Shteimaser, the 12 minor prophets, so to speak, right? Which means the 12 prophets who all of their prophecies are considered to be in one book, so to speak. So then you're allowed to skip from one to the other. As long as you don't go from the end of the book to the beginning of the book to go backwards. It's like the mission. The person who's going to end up becoming the mafter of that day in Shul, or the person who is regularly the mafter, the one who reads from the Haftorah from the prophets, he's the one who will have the ability to make the bracha on the Shema. What does the bracha on the Shema mean? So we said in the previous mission, not previous mission, but previous staff, we had this idea of the Paris al Shema, which is that if the minion of people come late to Shul, Rashi says, and they, they already davened in Shul. So what, what happens is like this. The minion will now come, and they'll have somebody who will say the bracha of, of Yetzir R. They'll say Baruch Hu, say the bracha of Yetzir R. They'll say Shema, and then they'll, they'll say Shemona Esrei, and they'll say Kedusha after Shemona Esrei, even though they're not davening the whole thing together. Okay? So that's the person who will have the, the ability to be the Paris al Shema will be the person who is going to be the mafir of that day. And he also is the one who's down for the Ahmed Musa. And he'll even be able to be the one to raise up his hands for the Kehanim's blessing. If he's a child of the Rabbi, then his father or his teacher are the one to go daven in his place. In general, a child is allowed to read from the Torah and allowed to translate. But he can't make the bracha on the Shema. And he can't pass in front of the Deva. He does not lift up his hands. So a, a pecheach, which is someone who's wearing shorts, essentially, right, according to Rashi. According to Teisus, it means that his garments are torn. He's got a, you know, the ripped jeans look, right? So you're, you're not, you're allowed to, um, you're allowed to be peris eshema, and you're allowed to translate, interpret. We're not supposed to read from the Torah. It's not covered. It's not, not the right respect. You should not lead, lead us in davening, right? I mean, this is one of the places where we see the importance of that. The person who's davening for the Ahmed on behalf of the community has to be dressed appropriately. And he doesn't lift up his hands to give a bracha if he's a kain. A blind person can be and can also interpret. Anybody who has not seen the luminaries from the time of his birth, in other words, he is blind, he is blind. 
you should not make a bracha for Shema. Because the, the bracha before Shema includes Yetzir HaMa'eres, right? Which is a reference to the creation of lights, luminaries. Sakti Gemara, my time, What's the reason that the person who's saying after gets these privileges? Papa Amar Mishim Kavod. Because it's an honor, out of honor for the reward for reading Naftara. Rabbi Bar Shimi says, Rabbi Shimi Amar, Mishum da Asilin Suyegis. Otherwise, people would argue about who should be the one to read. So it's a very simple principle. Whoever gets the Aftara is going to be the one to, to daven from the Amud. My Benayah, what's the difference between the two of them? The difference is if somebody's going to be reading from the Torah for free, in which case nobody's going to be fighting over it. If it's for free, nobody fights for it. Tanan. Mishnah taught, if he's a child, his father is teacher, go in front of the Aaron on his behalf to daven for them. If you say it's because of arguments, who is the child, someone is going to be doing arguing? So what are you going to say? Because of the honor? Who is a child worthy of public honor that we're concerned and therefore we have to put someone else up instead of them? You're going to clearly have to say is that the honor over here the respect over here that is going to be accruing is the respect for his father, respect for his teacher. So too, you could say it's his teacher and father who are going to have to argue with other people. And that's why it is as a, a, a general principle, whoever does the Aftara is also the one who gets these other privileges as well. In the case of a cut, then it goes to his father or his rabbi. We said if someone his knees are uncovered, they could still be the one to dab at Shema, but they can't reach from the Torah. Okay, so we said a katan is allowed to read from the Torah. We said a pokeach, someone whose knees are uncovered, is not allowed to read from the Torah. Let's say he's a katan who is also a pokeach. What's his halach? Is he in a different category? Amalei, so the Gemara says, you should ask about someone who's totally naked. Is someone who's totally naked allowed to read from the Torah? Aram, my time alone. What's the reason why a naked person is not allowed to read from the Torah? Shem kavat sibar. Because it's not respectful to the community. So to over here, Mishim Kavat Sibar. So to over here, it's not he should not be allowed to read if his knees are uncovered. It's not respectful to the community. Summa Peris Al Shema, a blind person can still say those blessings. In the first opinion, at least in the Mishnah. Tanya, we learned in Rabbi They said to Rabbi Huda, fascinating, fascinating passage over here. Where it says. Well, I'm not sure what the problem is. Just because he's he's blind and he never had any benefit from light, he doesn't even understand what light looks like. Therefore, he can't make the bracha of Yetzir HaMa'eres. Many people are able to sit there and abstractly think about the Maiser Merkava, think about Kabbalah, think about things that are completely abstract with no, have never, having never seen anything of it. They're still able to use their Koach Adimian, power of their abstract thinking, to picture it. So, and they never saw it. So why can't they do the same thing about the lights? Behuda, Behuda would say, Hasam, Talia That's a silly point. Over there, the entire concept is something which is completely dependent on a intellectual understanding. There's nothing existent existential is not the right word. There's nothing tangible about it. There is nothing that was empirical, anyways. So if you think about it on a very deep level, you can come to an understanding. But over here, when you say Yitzhah Ma'eretz, we're not just talking about the abstract that God created it. We're talking about the fact that we derive the benefit from the light. But halas tehana, he doesn't derive benefit. So what did the Chachamim disagree? Rabbanan is tehana. The Chachamim say, indeed, he does get benefit. Why? All of my days, I was in pain about a certain verse of the Torah. 
It says in the And you will be groping at midday the same way the blind man gropes in the dark. So he asks the question, very powerful question. The Torah says you'll be so blind, you'll be so lost that you'll be groping at midday for your way, the same way that a blind person gropes when it's dark. One second. If, a, if he's blind, what difference does it make if it's dark or not, right? No matter what, he can't see. Until one time something came, an I, 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 incident happened, and then I understood what, what this meant. I was walking in a pitch black night. And I saw a blind man is working on the walking on the road in the middle of the darkness, and he has a torch in his hand. And I realized he was blind. Marjorie, I said to him, my son, why are you carrying a torch? You're blind anyways. You can't see anything, right? I don't think he was rubbing it in. I think he was curious. Amalia said to him, when the torch is in my hand. Fascinating. The entire time that I have a torch in my hand, other people will see me, and then they'll protect me from holes and thorns and brambles. What's the principle that Rabbi Yassi is trying to extract from this story? He's saying you have to understand something. It might be true that he himself cannot see, and it derives no direct benefit from the sunlight. However, he certainly derives benefit because other people are able to protect him because they're able to see him with the sunlight. Says, a Kayan whose hands are blemished should not lift up his hands to give Berchus Kahanim. Yehuda says, Even one whose hands are stained with a red dye should not lift up their hands to give the Bracha. Because the people look at him, right? And you're not allowed to look at the Kayan when he's saying the Bracha. The moment that we have described the blemishes, the fun of the moment are going to be blemishes on your face, your hands, and your feet. Those are blemishes that will invalidate the, the blessing. says, If his hands are spotted, you don't lift up your hands. Your hands are spotted, don't lift up your hands. If they're curved, Inward or bent outward, lo yisas kapa. You don't lift up your hands. Amar Rabbi Rabasi said, Chifni o Bishni, a kain from Chifni or from Bishni. These are certain places where they have different dialects speaking. Lo yisas kapa. You don't lift up your hands. They give the bracha. Tanya na miyachi learned advice like this as well. Ain me reading of neateva le anche beis sha'an. We don't allow people to down for them if they come from beis sha'an or anche beis chayfa or chayfa vale anche tivainen or from tivainen. Why? The problem is like this. The problem is. Because they read an ayin and an aleph exactly the same way. Uh, got news for us, everybody. For most of the world today, we read the ayin and the aleph exactly the same way. But that's problematic, and that's not really the right way to do things. The reason why we don't try to figure it out is because we don't really have any way to know what's the actual correct way to do it. So therefore, we do what, we, what we've always been doing for the last couple of hundred years, which is we don't differentiate. However, the times of the base of Mikdash and the times of the Mishnah and the Gemara, they didn't know what an Aleph and an Ayin was. So if you have the ability to read an Aleph and Ayin differently and you don't, that was problematic. If you were a Levi, then you would be disqualified for doing the singing from the Dukhan, from the platform. You don't have the best voice. Your voice is thick. At the Amr Asa Amrale he comes and tells his father. Amalei, he said to him, Zil Amale, go and say to that fellow, so when you come to the verse, and I will wait for Hashem. 
Lo nimtzeis mecharef megadeh. You are going to be in difficulty. Why? Because the way he, he didn't he didn't know how to say a ches, right? He would say a hey instead of ches. So he would say vehekesi instead of vehekesi. Right, vehekesi means and I waited. Vehekesi means and I hit. So you're going to be in deep trouble. In other words, he's saying, don't mess with my son because you're making fun of the, his voice. Your dialect is totally messed up. Amaravuna. Zagvalan says kapav. Someone whose eyes are running should not lift up his hands to give the bracha. But there was someone like this in the town of Ravuna, and indeed he would give the bracha. People in that town recognized him and knew him, so nobody would look at him askance. What's this weirdo doing? They were used to the way he looked. I know we have to learn to rise like as well. Zagval and someone who has some sort of an eye defect, but you says kapov should not lift up his hands. People will look at him. But if he's known to everyone in that town, mutter is permitted. A man is blind in one eye, you should not give the bracha. But there was someone in the neighborhood of Rabbi Echanan who used to was blind in one eye and still give the brachas. Same idea. He was someone who everybody was familiar with. No one would stare at him and get distracted. A man is blind in one eye, you don't lift up your hands. But if everybody knows him in this town, mutter is permitted. If your hands are painted, you should not lift up your hands for the bracha. Tana, we learned If most of the men in this town have the same um, work, mutter, then indeed it is permitted. If are, all the hands are dirty, then it's permitted. It's like the next Mishnah. If somebody says, I'm not going to die for the Ahmed wearing colored clothing, then he can't even die for the Ahmed wearing white clothing. A sandal any over, I can't have in for the Ahmed wearing these sandals, like you know, some sort of a shoe. I can't have the Ahmed even barefoot. Someone makes his tvilase, his tvilin for the head that are round, right? Then um then it's it, it's it's dangerous for him and he hasn't done a mitzvah. Nitna al mitzvah, I If you put it on his forehead, like too low down, if you put it on the palm of his hand, right? In other words, it says in the Torah. Would imply that the film goes right here, right in between your eyes, but that's not true. The Torah tells us that's not true, right? On your hand, so you might think that you put your tefillin actually right here on your hand, the actual box, right? Neither of those are true, but if you don't believe in Torah, that might be what you come out with. Now, if you did that, this would be derech minus, this would be a heretical act because it is someone who does not believe in the oral law. If he puts gold on the tefillin, or if he puts the one for that's supposed to go on his arm, he puts it instead on his sleeve. This is the position of people who don't follow the rabbis. These are external believers. My time was the reason that he can't have them, even wearing white clothing. If he says, I can't have them, wearing colored clothing, what's the reason? My time was the reason. The concern is that perhaps he, he has a minus, he has a heretical thought, because the heretics, heretics were careful that they would not daven for the Ahmed if they were wearing, pray for whatever they were doing, they wouldn't do it wearing colored clothing. So the people who get obsessed never to wear colored clothing, it, clearly they are heretical. Right? Clearly this does not apply today in yeshivas. As we know, in yeshivas, most people are not wearing colored clothing. They're wearing white shirts and black pants. And they're pretty particular about that. But this is not a sign, uh, not, not an, I, I know what you're saying, Wayne, not an MTI, this is true. Chavz Chaim yeshivas are different. This is true. If someone makes their tefillah is rounded, then it can become a danger, and therefore there's no mitzvah. 
Let's say that the teaching over here is the same that we learned in a brisa. The fact that tefillin should be square is a halacha It's a law which is handed down by tradition from Moshe orally from Mount Sinai. Omer Rava said this means in their seams and in their diagonals, everything has to be squared. Papa says the Mishnah is talking about a case where they were made round like Amgoza, right? To be made round like a, like a nut. In other words, they're very, very rounded. So very, very rounded, it's going to end up leading to some sort of sakana when, when you're bending your head down for tachan, you're going to somehow or other cut it into your forehead. That's the simple understanding. But if you made it in a way that it's, um, it's, it's an oval, let's say, so it's not rounded, that's going to actually end up pushing back against your head, then indeed it wouldn't be as problematic. Okay, we're going to stop over here.